The NBA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Shady Rays. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SGPN for 50% off of two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Roster brought to you by our NBA Playoff Survivor Challenge. We're giving away $250 cash and a $100 gift card. Sign up today exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome, everyone, to the NBA Gambling Podcast, part of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is Thursday, April 13th, currently 11.02 on the East Coast. Here to recap what we saw in the association last night in the play-in tournament games, and we're going to preview the 2-7 matchup in both the Eastern and Western Conference today. But joining me to help me break it down, you guys know him as the voice of the Tennis Gambling Podcast, the WNBA Gambling Podcast, the NFL Gambling Podcast, and of course here on the NBA Gambling Podcast is Scott Studio Reichel. Scott, what's going on, my man? Hey, nothing much. Looking forward to going through a couple of playoff series here with you. I know that yesterday's action was entertaining because both games were actually quite competitive, but overall, you know, playing tournaments so far, if you've been blindly betting the underdogs, you are undefeated on the spread, and I believe you are 3-1 and one just straight up on the money line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two pretty good games last night, though. What do you think? Yeah, uh, definitely competitive basketball. Um, something that we weren't used to, I guess, maybe obviously during the last week of the regular season, but, you know, we get into these playing tournaments, uh, the intensity definitely uh, goes up. But, yeah, there were yeah great games last night. Uh, we could start with um, the first game and then kind of work our way and recap those games. And then, we'll, like I mentioned, we'll get into the 2-7 matchups today. But um, last night, Chicago Bulls in uh, Toronto take care of business. They advance to play the Miami Heat to determine who will be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference to take on the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, that game's going to be on Friday night, but last night, like I mentioned, Chicago, they get the come-from-behind victory. I believe they were down by, I want to say, 19 or more points in that game. Um, 109-105, really it was a tale of two halves. Toronto looked pretty dominant in that first half. They had, a, I think, a 11-point lead. Yeah, in that first half, Fred Van Vliet hit that half-court buzzer beater right before the half. That gave the Toronto Raptors an 11-point lead, and then the Chicago Bulls just came out and looked like a completely different team, really led by Zach Levine uh, in that third quarter and in that second half um, as well. They outscored the Toronto Raptors 62-47, to but I think, Scott, the bigger story last night was the MVP for the Chicago Bulls was maybe off the court and in the stands by the name of DR DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan's daughter, who um, I'm going to give her all the credit, limited the Toronto Raptors to 18 of 36 shooting from the free throw line. They missed 18 free throws last night, Scott. I think that was pretty much the story of the game for me. Yeah, it was. You're looking at the overall stats from a team perspective, and Toronto shot 9% better from three. They recorded 14 more rebounds. They were up by 19, and they lost the game at home. So, yes, it definitely came down to free throw shooting, especially when you saw Levine have a shot to tie the game. Not Levine, sorry. You had Siakam with a shot to tie the game late, and he Mm -hmm. missed two of those three free throws. 
it was kind of justice because I don't know how that's a shooting foul on Caruso there, but whatever. Yeah. That's that's a separate story. But nice job by Levine. He had 30 points in the second half. He definitely came alive when they needed him to. Uh, besides that, uh, yeah, I feel like Toronto is a team that I've roasted all year long because I don't think that they're a well-coached team. I don't think that they're a well-run team. And we saw that on display last night in the fourth quarter, getting outscored 37-24. to 24. On top of that, my streak with getting Raptors games incorrect, uh, Lee, ended up continuing as I had the lean to the Raptors. And I also had my lock for the podcast yesterday, which was the under 213. And they put up 61 points in the fourth quarter. Game landed 214. Did hit the dog, though. I had DeRozan not to make a three at around plus 115, which got there. But really, the story for me is the fact that Toronto is the team that I kind of thought they were, and I feel like it was a microcosm of their entire season. They had some good moments and some bad moments, but in the end, mostly bad. Yeah, I think when I saw that foul that was called on Alex Caruso, um, made me scratch my head as well. I, I don't know in what world that was three shots for uh, Pascal Siakam, but I guess it worked out in the favor of the uh, Chicago Bulls because they weren't making their free throws uh, last night. But I think the one thing that also kind of stood out to me, and I think the difference this season has been for the Chicago Bulls, is just uh, the defensive intensity that Patrick Beverly and Alex Caruso brought all game, but more so in that second half, in particular in the fourth quarter, that you even saw Zach Levine playing some type of defense because Alex Caruso and Patrick Beverly really were forcing turnovers um, against the Toronto Raptors, which I think was a huge difference. And they were, they were the two players uh, that were getting all the loose balls as well. The 50, 50 balls, I guess we can say uh, last night in that fourth quarter that really kind of propelled them. So, I think that was pretty much the story. Like we mentioned, the free throw shooting. I think the defensive intensity that led by Alex Caruso and Pat Beverly that everybody was buying into. So, I mean, you got to give a credit lot uh, to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they could have gone into that halftime locker room and came out flat in that second half and, and could have been one, two, three Cancun for them. But, you know, give them a lot of credit for fighting back. Zach Levine stepped up when he needed to. I think he had like, what, 14 or 15 points in that fourth, a third quarter alone. Um, and they gave themselves a chance in that fourth quarter, and that's all you need. And, and fortunately for the Chicago Bulls, uh, now they're going to head to South Beach to take on Miami on Friday night for that, to determine who that eight seed's going to be. Yeah, Beverly didn't really do much offensively. However, he did have the big three-pointer with about five minutes to go, so that was the big contribution that he made offensively. Besides that, the only other takeaway that I have with the Raptors, besides the fact that Nurse might end up leaving because mm. he's just had enough, is... The rumors that were going on during the trade deadline, because after watching yesterday's game, there is no way in hell Toronto was offered three first-round picks for OG Ananobi. Oh, he played last night? I, I didn't notice if he was playing. Three first-round picks? You're telling me <laughs> Toronto turned down three first-round picks for him? Either you're right and you are a bunch of idiots because you should have taken it, or yeah. you're gaslighting the rest of the league into giving you three picks for OG Ananobi. I like Ananobi. He's not worth three first-round picks because, he, as you said before, he gives you good defensive intensity. Offensively, he's kind of invisible at times. But that was yeah. kind of one thought that I had when you're looking at the main contributors for Toronto. Siakam went 13 of 22. The free throws mm -hmm. were a mess. He went 5 for 11, but he still had 32 points and 9 rebounds. Yeah. Scotty Barnes at 19 and 10. Van Vliet had 26, 12, and 8. And I've been roasting Van Vliet all year long, but he was actually good last night. Yeah. But OG Ananobi went 4 for 13. 
and he played 42 minutes. So when you're going to claim, he also went three afraid from the line. When you're going to claim that he's worth three first-round picks midway through the season, and you put a performance like that, I got to call the bluff there because I don't think there's any chance in hell a team offered three first-round picks for OG Ananobi. Do you? Um, maybe one team that's just you know not exactly yeah, maybe the most well-run some, franchise. Think, yeah, there's no maybe way he's like, worth three first-round picks. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, I, I think that this is definitely going to be an interesting offseason for the Toronto Raptors. I think Nick Nurse is out of there. I think Fred Van Vliet is probably out of there, and or Pascal Siakam is out of there as well. But I think um, Siakam stays personally. Yeah, I think maybe like two. If Scotty Barnes and Siakam say, then maybe. I don't know. We usually, like you mentioned, with the Ananobi trade rumors, or if it was just that guys weren't getting along with Fred Van Vliet or, or the other way around, where the case might have been. But I think it might be time to at least go in another direction for the Toronto Raptors. But uh, like I mentioned, we got to give credit to Chicago Bulls. So we'll find out who is going to be playing Milwaukee for that eight seed on Friday night. Um, also, also forgot yeah. to mention, since I brought up the trade deadline before, I'd like to congratulate the Raptors once again for buying at the deadline for Jakob Pertl just to lose in the uh, play-in game yes. instead of trading away some pieces for assets. Congrats. I, I hope letting Van Vliet walk in free agency was worth losing in the play-in game. Well, you forgot my favorite player that they added as well, Will Barton. Oh, that's true, of course. Well, they didn't <laughs> trade anything for him, I don't yeah, believe, they right? Him. I think they, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they, I think they just signed him. I, I wouldn't see. I think they got was a buyout with... Uh, Washington, I believe. Did it surprise you that Boucher only played seven minutes? I thought they could have used him um, kind of in that stretch in the third quarter, uh, maybe to rebound or at least like, I mean, he can knock down the three-point shot to kind of give a different look. I mean, I, I don't know. I, but sure, we know that. No, no offense to Pirtle, but he had seven points, eight rebounds, played 37 minutes. I know defensively he had some moments despite – you know, he had a couple blocks, five turnovers, though, three fouls. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're watching the offense in, late in the game, and Toronto couldn't score. And a big reason was because Pirtle, for the most part, is an absolute zero offensively when he's not getting a wide-open layup. I thought they could have tried. I'm not a big Achua guy. He can shoot a little bit. It yeah. just felt like Toronto became too predictable offensively, mm-hmm. which has been an issue for them for a while. And Hurdle yeah. wasn't exactly helping matters since he's basically a screener with no other upside besides the occasional wide open layup. I, I really thought Boucher and Achua should have played a bit more compared to Pirtle. Pirtle was a plus six, so he wasn't that bad. But 37 minutes for a guy that's really not going to give you any scoring threat when your team yeah. is in dire need of offense late in games. I thought they could have done a better job of the big man rotation. He also accounted for five turnovers last night as well. Yeah. Um for the Toronto Raptors, but outside, and also it goes to the three-point shooting as well, right? Fred Van Vliet, 7 of 13 from three-point line. The rest of the team was, what, 4 of 18 combined? Yeah, but they still shot better than Chicago by 9%, sure. so I can't even yeah. use that as an excuse. Yeah, it, it was really it, it really was just the free throws last night. I mean, that that was really the difference. Um, and um, Raptors also out-rebounded the Chicago Bulls last night. 50 to 36 is what I'm seeing, yeah, so um yeah again give credit to dr derozan she unfortunately will not be in miami uh dad said that she has to go back to school so i don't know uh if that's going to (laughs) cause him the win in miami anything else for this game scott 
You were frozen yeah. there for a second. No, I'm I'm back. Yeah, for okay. some reason, I have like two Wi-Fi networks. I have one that's 5G and one that's regular. Mm -hmm. The regular run one runs better than the 5G one. I don't know what's happening, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, all right. Uh, so let me go to an ad break here, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll recap the um, Western Conference playing game from yesterday. So, um. I talked about it earlier, man. You guys need to get over. It's summertime, man. I know you guys are going to be planning vacations, uh, whether you're going to the beach or wherever the case might be. You need to get some new uh, pair of sunglasses. That's where Shady Rays comes in. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair that we've ever worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by the lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one when you get them, they told us they'll send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. And if you don't love them, exchange it for a new pair or return them for free within 30-day window period. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. So exclusively... For our listeners, Shady Rays is giving away their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SGPN for 50% off of two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. And guys, we're holding a, a playoff contest for the NBA playoffs. It's the NBA Survivor Challenge. Uh, make sure to check out our NBA Playoff Survivor Challenge. It's completely free to enter. The winner gets $250 in cash and a $100 SGPN gift card. It's exclusively on the SGPN app. All right, Scott. Um, shifting over to the Western Conference yesterday, I think this was uh, another great game that we saw between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Pelicans uh, take the home loss. Thunder come out and take care of business. They get the victory 123-118 over the Pelicans. They were led by their two young stars uh, in SGA who finished the game with 32 points. He was 11 of 22 from the floor. Um, and also Josh Giddy with a near triple-double last night. He chipped in with 31 points, 10 assists, and 9 rebounds for the Thunder. And Lou Dort really got this offense out to a fast start in that first half, I believe, I want to say he had 20 points in that first mm -hmm. half, if not more, but he finished the game with 27 points, um, eight of 14 from the floor, four of eight from three point land. And um, the Pelicans outside of Brandon Ingram, I thought were a little underwhelming. Um, I know a lot of criticism has gone to CJ McCollum. He did not have a great game either. He was only five of 15 from the floor, one of five from three point land. Um, Trey Murphy got up 16 shots last night, six of 16, four of 10 from three point land and Herb Jones, seven of 16 from the floor, 20 uh, points for him. But when you give up 123 points, Scott to a Pelican team, that was really good, at least defensively after the all-star break. I know they didn't play a lot of quality opponents. When you give up 123 points, you're not going to win a lot of games here, Scott. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're looking at new Orleans. And if I told you going into the game, that Herb Jones and 
Trey Murphy would combine for 41 points, you'd assume they won the game. I mean, Herb Jones had 20 points. Now, I know that he had the really bad inbound turnover to officially ice the game. Yeah, They needed a half-court shot anyway down three. I'm not going to say that New Orleans would have tied the game anyway. But Ingram played well down the stretch. I know he missed a big free throw there, but he made a couple big shots anyway, so I'll give him a pass. I've roasted McCollum on the show for a long time. I believe when we initially broke down the trade to New Orleans, I said straight up I didn't think it would move the needle that much because I don't think McCollum's that good. And they made the play-in last year, and they ended up making it into the playoffs last year, and McCollum was a pretty good piece temporarily. This is who he is. He's a high-volume shooter who's not very efficient, and I've called him out on it for years. And once again, it was one of those trades between them and Portland where I said no team really won, per se, Mm -hmm. and I basically gave both teams a C at the time. Nothing's changed. McCollum is a guy who I think is a highly overrated basketball player. I don't think he's a winning basketball player. And what really was the nail in the coffin, even though the game was still in the balance, Ingram had made like three or four straight shots down the stretch. He was cooking. Oklahoma City couldn't guard him. And then McCollum takes a fadeaway three-pointer at the top of the key when Ingram was really just a matchup nightmare for OKC the entire game. And McCollum just kept settling for bad jumpers the entire game, and he couldn't make a shot. And I feel like that was really a big reason why the Thunder were able to get back into the uh, lead late in the game was because McCollum bailed out that Thunder defense in a couple of possessions by taking some really bad shots when Ingram probably should have taken 90% of the shots down the stretch. Yep. Yeah, I think that for CJ McCollum, he's at best a three third. Yeah, Yeah. I just want to say if that, if that, yeah, Um, on a, on a, on a, I guess a contending team. I don't want to say a championship team, but you know, maybe his prime years are behind him. I know, when he was with Portland, he had games. I mean, he would easily average, what, 23, 25 points per game. But it seems like, you know, that I think it's cliche to say that they missed Zion last night. If he was healthy, I think that would have obviously been the difference for this team. But, but yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to Brandon Ingram. I mean, he, he, he did what he had to do. He did his part last night. He provided those clutch buckets when they needed him for the Pelicans, but it just wasn't good enough. And I think we also got to give – um the young the, the the young guys for the Thunder a lot of credit, especially SGA and Josh Giddy, the way they played down the stretch, especially SGA. I mean, he had a whole bunch of uh clutch buckets down the down the stretch there for the Thunder. That really was the difference last night. He only had, he only had seven points in the first half. So we talked yeah. about Levine going for 30 in the second half. He had 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had that very impressive uh a couple layups there that were contested in the fourth quarter, hit that running floater. Uh, late in the final couple minutes, so he had himself a great game. Dort was very good. Yeah. I know Williams, uh, either one, was pretty solid there down the stretch. I know uh, Jalen Williams with a Y uh, only had eight points, but he was a plus 20 on yeah. the floor, and he had that mm-hmm. big three-pointer there in the fourth quarter as well, finished with 8-8-8. Eight, eight, and eight. It just seemed to me that OKC was fearless. It seemed like they went into the game and said, we don't really care. We're not supposed to be here. Let's have some fun with it. And they won the game. And I'm trying to think of any other takeaways that I really had down the stretch. I already gave my McCollum piece. But I know Valanchunas got injured. But if Mm. you actually rewatch what happened during that whole uh, little run there, during that whole situation or moment, 
Valanciunas was about to get benched anyway. You yeah. saw Hayes at the scorer's table getting ready to check in for Valanciunas, and Valanciunas ended up getting injured, and they pulled him anyway. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me why Willie Green was rushing to get Jackson Hayes in the game for the final seven minutes of regulation? Because that was really the story of the game for me and what decided it. I know that Che made a couple big shots. I mentioned McCollum and everything. But Valanciunas, I understand your team is used to switching everything in the mm. final couple minutes, usually with Larry Nance Jr. who was out. Under no circumstance should Valanciunas have left the floor in the fourth quarter. I don't know how you were going to sub him out. Now, I know he got injured, so he probably would have been subbed out anyway. But once again, I don't understand the thought process of taking out Valanciunas, who was a force. He had 16 points, 18 rebounds. OKC couldn't stop him. Yeah. Why were you trying to rush him out of the game with six or seven minutes to go? Yeah, I think that was the biggest head scratcher for me last night as well as that that first quarter. I mean, he was just dominating on the board. He had like, what, eight rebounds within the first like five minutes of that game. Yeah, um, And he was pretty much, I don't want to say it was pretty much the offense, but he was at least a difference where they got out to, I think, a seven or eight point lead before OKC made a run in that second uh, second part of the first quarter. Um, where he was getting those offensive rebounds, whether he was putting them back up or, or kicking it back out to uh, create another sec- second chance opportunity. And I was kind of scratching my head as well as like why he wasn't in the fourth quarter, uh, especially down the stretch. And, one, the and once where, again, I'm aware that he got hurt. So it, the decision was yeah, kind but, of taken out of his hands. But yeah. if you rewatch the play where he got hurt, mm-hmm. Hayes is already at the scorer's table. Yeah. Valanciunas was going to get benched for the final six or seven minutes of regulation, regardless of yeah. the injury. The injury was just the official, he's not playing again. But if you rewatch it, Hayes is already at the scorer's table. So yeah. Valanciunas was done. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand that thought process. It didn't matter in the end because he wouldn't have played the final couple minutes anyway. Yeah. But I don't understand the idea of Willie Green choosing to bench him before the injury took place in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't answer it for you either, but I think, yeah, we just got to give credit to OKC. They just went in there, messed around and, and got the victory. But um, yeah, I think there's going to be more questions now for the Pelicans going into this offseason on. What do you do? You just pray Zion actually plays games. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. But what is the thought process if you're Brandon Ingram? Just being like, I tired this of out. waiting around for your other guy to half show up half the time. Yeah, and then that, like this was my first thought after the game was over. Like Brandon Ingram had a great game last night, and yeah. I tweeted I was like, he's wasting his talent right now in in New Orleans. I think that he could be a difference for a team that's a contender. And if you added a guy like Brandon Ingram, you could probably make yourself a championship contender. I think I that's think, the difference. What do you think of, Ingram is on a title team, though? Do you think he's like a bad two? Do you think he's like a very, very good three? Uh, that, that's the range, right? Obviously, for Ingram, he could be a lower tier two guy, but uh, probably one of the best threes. On, on I think team. for me, the main issues with this team, besides the fact that Zion, of course, can't stay healthy, you're looking at the bench, which they really don't have. And mm-hmm. I'm aware that. Alvarado was injured, and he's one of their most important bench pieces. And they were missing Larry Nance Jr., who I'm not a fan of, by the way, but they still were missing him. You're looking at who played any minutes on the bench yesterday. Hayes played 18 minutes. He was pretty decent last night. It was a complete non-factor when he got subbed in in the fourth quarter. You had Josh Richardson, who was 
surprisingly okay. He mm-hmm. had a cheap yeah. shot to get his groin, but he, overall he had a decent game. Yeah. Najee Marshall played nine minutes, had two points. I Okay, sure. If you want to use Najee Marshall in a win-or-go-home game, be my guest. Uh, but then you had Kyra Lewis, who played five minutes. Sure. They don't have a bench. Yeah. And you're you're looking at everything else they need to do. I think they I think they need to trade McCollum because McCollum clearly is delusional on what his role is, on what he thinks is winning basketball. And it's an issue with a lot of players around the league that I've criticized ad nauseum. Players think that, that they a lot of players in the league have a lot of confidence, which is mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But there's a difference between being confident and being delusional. And there are a lot of players who think they are so much better than they actually are and think that they need to carry their team to victory when they're arguably the third or fourth best player on their team. Yeah. For McCollum, less is more. I would have rather have seen Ingram take pretty much all the shots down the stretch. Yeah. I think Murphy should get more shots. I know he had 16 last night, but he was pretty solid. Yeah. And Valanciunas was pretty good. Herb Jones can't really shoot, but he was effective last night. I think McCollum and Ingram, as far as I'm concerned, cannot coexist because McCollum will always feel the need to take more shots down the stretch since Ingram's going to take more shots than him. And based on that, it's not sustainable for me to play winning basketball when CJ feels the need to force shots because he didn't force enough shots in the second and third quarter, and he tries to make up for in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I would cringe every time Herb Jones was jacking up those three-pointers in the, in the first quarter. I know that he can knock it down, but... He went one you, for five. Yeah. I mean, he I made mean, a big one in the fourth, but still, he sure, but, him away and he couldn't make it. Yeah. So, again, we'll, we'll find out what happens in the offseason here with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, obviously. What, what, what would you do, though? You're, you just paid Zion, so you're screwed. You're screwed with Zion right now. But if I'm, I'm saying, Brandon Ingram, I want to get You got to try to keep him. You can't get rid of Ingram because he's, he's proven that he's talented enough. And you can pray that if him and Zion are together, you can beat anybody in a playoff series. Yeah. CJ, I think you have to trade. I don't know what mm-hmm. his market is, but I think you have to move on from him. Yeah. Murphy, I really like. Your bench unit could use some work, but once again, Alvarado is a pretty good bench point guard who wasn't available. But I'm I'm trying to think of like what's the one move you could make that could turn you into being a potential Western Conference contender. There are a couple moves away at this point. Yeah, and I thought if they had Zion this year, that they could have been a definitely a contender to come out of the Western Conference or at least get to the Western Conference Finals. I don't think that's a, that's a stretch, but I think they need to get a traditional point guard in there when and if Zion does get healthy. I think that's only going to help this team paired with Brandon Ingram. We know what Brandon Ingram brings to the table. Um, it's just everything hinges on Zion, man. It's it's just crazy to see how much. I mean, you paid him. You're so like you mentioned, you're stuck with him. Front office has their hands full, man. They need to figure out what they want to do with this roster because definitely you have talent there. It's just about putting it together. So I think the first move for me, you're right. I think that you got to get rid of CJ McCollum off this team. He just doesn't fit with what the Pelicans are trying to do. And hopefully again, next year they'll be healthy, obviously, with Jose Alvarado. I mean, if it's like you get 40, 50 games out of Zion next season, I mean, that's... Forget about the regular season. If you get Zion... For in a the guaranteed, if I told you Zion's guaranteed to be healthy for three playoff series, yeah, there's a lot of people that would take Pelicans money line in a lot of those series. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So they would be a pretty live dark horse candidate to win anything if Zion sure. was guaranteed health. 
but yeah. he's not. So yeah. when you're trying to think of what this team can do, I they're once again, their hands are tied. Like, I don't know what yeah. they're supposed to do. They put all their eggs in the Zion basket. And they got to hope that it hatches. But I group McCollum with Fred Van Vliet, which is kind of fitting because they both played yesterday. Van Vliet was very good yesterday, unlike McCollum. But I think that both players believe that the only way or the best way they can help their team win is by jacking up a bunch of shots. Yeah. And I think for that reason, both players are a bit delusional. And I think as a result, I look at McCollum, it might sound offensive. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong for thinking that he's just a very good sixth man? I know that he's been a starter for a decent portion of his career. But you look at his skill set and where the NBA is headed and the fact that McCollum doesn't guard anybody, isn't he like a perfect 30-minute-a-game sixth man guy? You give him the quickly treatment or like a Jamal Crawford treatment and say, listen, you're coming out with the bench unit. You'll get the full green light. Give me 20 points in 25 minutes. Yeah, I think that is that his role on a title team because it feels I, like his role would be a bench player. Yeah, I don't I, for for a team that's trying to win a championship, a microwave score off the bench. That's kind of what I see McCollum being yeah. for a title contending team. Yeah, unless you put him with like two top five players in the NBA that are already on a team. Like, do you think he would be a starter with the Lakers? Yeah, but even with that, his contract isn't exactly the most friendly for a guy. Sure. You know, that, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that he would be a great uh, guy coming off of the bench at this juncture of <clears throat> of his career. Uh, anything else from the Pels and Thunder last night, Scott? I know you guys, or we'll dig into the um, the last two playing tournament games. Uh, I think tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, a couple of brief points. Uh, first things first. Uh, Shea is already better than Paul George, so you can evaluate <laughs> the trade accordingly uh, based yeah. on that fact. Do we agree on that? By the way, that Shea's better than Paul George right now. Right now, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, other than that, though, looking at the Thunder and all the future draft picks they have and the fact that Chet hasn't played yet, I want to point out whenever the Thunder do end up either cashing in on their picks by trading for a superstar mm-hmm. or whatever, Dagnall to will win a Coach of the Year award. I think the guy's a hell of a basketball year. coach. I think next year might be the year for them or for just him saying. to win. When they win, with 40 games this year? Uh, the Thunder officially went 40 and 42. Okay. But I'm just throwing it out there. I know the play didn't work because Shea got blocked at the rim, and you thought the Thunder were going to try to hold the ball. Dork got the offensive rebound. It didn't matter in the end. Mm-hmm. The fact that there were so many t- plays out of timeouts from Finch and even Ham in that Lakers and Timberwolves game where you could tell both coaches didn't do anything for the two-minute break that they had while they were trying to draw up a play – Dagnold calls a timeout to advance the ball to half court with the ball. They got Shea Gildress Alexander going downhill mm. with a free layup at the rim. Once again, it was blocked. Very good defensive play by Richardson. Yeah. But the point is, they drew up a play, and they got their best player, one of the best slashers in the entire league, a free run at the rim on a single out-of-bounds play. Yeah, Dagnold can coach. That guy's a hell of a coach. I'm just going to say, that was one moment where I'm looking at it going, I don't know how many coaches would have gotten the ball, A, in their star players' hands, Mm -hmm. B, downhill, doing something that no other coach would have expected them to do. And once again, Shea had the layup blocked. But the principle in itself, they got their best player the ball with a chance to maybe hit a game-winning layup or you know a dagger layup. How many coaches draw up a play that well 
that runs so fluidly in that situation because that was a perfect play call. Yeah, it was. Uh, I get. I mean, like you mentioned, I think we've talked about this during the season as well, that we all agree that he's a really good head coach. So, look, the future is definitely bright for this Thunder team, right? You have a superstar. I'm going to go and classify him as a superstar player in SGA. Yeah. You have Chet Holgrim that's going to be back next season for this team after you know he suffered the injury um, in the was the program league that he played in. Um, but this team has pieces, man. They they have Josh Giddy. You have SGA. You're going to add Chet next year. We have all the draft capital that was you know flashing on our screens last night when we were watching this game. So it, it's going to be if you're an OKC Thunder fan, I don't know how many there are, but uh, if you are one you definitely have to be uh, really excited about where this team is at right now and where they are headed uh, in the future. So, um, yeah, we'll talk a lot about these teams and, and, you know, off-season moves and the future uh, in the off-season for the Thunder team. But right now, they have an opportunity to go into Minnesota, get the victory, and get into the playoffs to play the number one seed, the Denver Nuggets, in the Western Conference. For the record, if OKC does win that game, I will blindly bet Jokic triple-double in every game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just for the record. Just going to get that out there. All right, guys. Before we uh, do our – the second seed and seventh seed um, playoff betting preview here, let me tell everyone about Sword Vitality. Um, Self-care is cool. Self-care is manly. Be proud of taking care of yourself. 40% of men are affected by impotence at the age of 40 and nearly 70% of men are affected at the age of 70. Stop buying those highly suspect pills in the gas stations, and you don't have to hide those blue pills in your sock drawer. You manscape, but do you also take care of the plumbing? Sword Vitality helps you increase your blood flow in ways that help help you thrive as a man. And it's time to become a Sword Vitality man if you haven't experienced erections in the morning lately. There's really three main benefits for you using Sword Vitality. You increase blood flow in ways that help you thrive as a man in the bedroom. And Sword Vitality can help increase your stamina. You don't have to hide it. You can be proud of it. So unsheath your sword. Visit swordvitality.com and use promo code SGPN for a nice discount at checkout. That's swordvitality.com using promo code SGPN. And Ross, we're brought to you by Talkify. Life is full of what ifs. So what if you try something new when it comes to dating? You haven't had luck, haven't had a lot of luck, you know, maybe going through the apps that you're on, meeting someone mutually through a, a friend of yours. It's just not working out for you. Talkify is a new way to meet other serious singles. What if they help you find what you're looking for? Are you having a hard time, like I mentioned, meeting great people to date? Why do you keep trying those same methods over and over again if you're just setting yourself up to fail when it comes to the dating game? It's time to say goodbye to swiping and bring back the human touch dating with Talkify. Confidence is key. We know that when it comes to dating. But if you're struggling to find worthwhile connections, it can be difficult to feel your best when meeting new people. With Talkify, you feel confident that you're meeting someone special who was just picked for you. Talkify is the country's number one modern making match service that is designed to help you achieve relationship success. The trusted compatibility specialist hand selects a successful and compelling candidate so you can date consciously and productively. So here's how it works. The Talkify matchmakers meet with you to learn about what you're looking for in a partner. Then they'll select and screen potential match candidates for you doing background checks, video interviews, and asking those awkward and tough questions that are you know, sometimes hard to talk about on those first dates. From there, your matchmaker plans your dates, your introductions, and handles all the communication for you, creating a safe 
and stress-free dating experience. Talkify is committed to finding your match. 80% of clients met their person within the first 12 matches. So right now, Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at Talkify.com slash SGPN. That's T-A-W-K-I-F-Y dot com slash SGPN for 20% off when you become a client. Again, Talkify.com slash SGPN. All right, Scott, we have two more playoff series to do our betting preview with. Let's start with the... Um, let's start with the Eastern Conference. It's going to be the Boston Celtics as a two seed. They are going to be playing the seven seed, the Atlanta Hawks. And I'm currently seeing uh, the series prices for this uh, matchup in the Eastern Conference at, let's see here, Boston Celtics minus 1,000 to win this series. Atlanta is plus 650. Uh, to win the series, um, series spread right now, I see the Boston Celtics minus two and a half games at minus 165. Um, and then Boston to in a sweep at plus 230. Uh, but Scott, Boston, Atlanta, what are you thinking about this series? And does have does Atlanta have a chance to upset the number two seed in the Eastern Conference? Anything's possible, but in reality, no. I think Boston kills this team. I think they win either four or five. I think it's pretty set in stone in my eyes that Milwaukee, no matter who they're playing, and Boston win in four or five. I just think they're that much better than every other team in the conference. But you're looking at Atlanta, and people are going to be tempted. They looked very good their last game out. You know, we see this all the time. You have a team in the play-in that looks good, and suddenly people think that they're alive to win anything, and they get buried every year. It never changes. And yes, Atlanta did look good. Having said that, we've roasted Miami for the entire year. I was very early to being anti-Miami. I think I started talking about that a month into the season. And I yeah. said, I don't think the team's very good. And nothing's really changed there. But the big reason why I think the Celtics are going to be able to have success against the Hawks, the Hawks were able to beat the Heat because they dominated on the boards. We saw Capella have 21 rebounds. They had a bunch of offensive rebounds. They believe, I believe they out-rebounded Miami. Was it 61-39 to 39 in that game? 63-39. Yeah. to 39. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen against Boston because Boston has forwards that can rebound. Robert Williams is great defensively, and he can also rebound as well. I just don't think Atlanta has enough defensive options to deal with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think because of that, they're going to really struggle to guard anybody. And I think that if you're arguing about, you know, Trey being able to go for a couple masterclass games, maybe, except for the fact that Boston has a lot of good perimeter defenders who I think can make life difficult for Trey. Simply put, Atlanta is still not a very good team. We just know Miami's not a good team either. Yeah. So I'm not going to overreact to it. Boston is a significantly better team than Atlanta. I don't think it's close. I think Boston wins in four or five. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we talked about the Eastern Conference, it was just really that there was two teams that just really separated themselves this season. You can argue two and a half because some people were arguing for Philly, but I was never on board for that. Yeah, Um, it's Milwaukee. Like the road goes through Milwaukee and Boston. I think these two teams are just 
headed for a, a matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals. And even if we look at the regular season <clears throat> series between the Hawks and the Celtics here, Scott, Boston won all three games. I mean, it was one. I mean, defensively, the Atlanta Hawks, we know, are not very good. In all three of those games this season against the Atlanta Hawks, Boston put up a minimum of 120 points. They had won they won 124-125 and 126-101. I know they did a fantastic job of rebounding the basketball against the Miami Heat, uh, but when you're going up against a team like the Boston Celtics that, I mean, obviously Jason Tatum, one of the better players in the league, uh, easily, I think, a top seven, top eight, top ten, I think, um, player in this league, Jalen Brown. I mean, this team is, I think, with the experience that they had last season making the run to the NBA Finals, I think, obviously, they'll be hungry to get back to the NBA Finals and win it again. If they can beat Milwaukee, we'll see. But I just they need, think... They need Robert Williams to stay healthy. If Robert yeah. Williams stays healthy... I actually think they got a good chance to beat Milwaukee. I think that would be a, set, a potentially a seven-game series again. But yeah. Robert Williams is so huge to what that team wants to do just identity-wise. Mm-hmm. And assuming he stays healthy for four or five games in this series, he's going to destroy every single layup that Atlanta tries to put up there. And I don't think they have a backup point. Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, I, I again, the odds are indicating it's a minus 1,000 price, but... Outside of injury, what do you think Atlanta has to do to pull off this upset? Or even if that is possible, like what has to go right for them in every single game that they have to win against Boston? Well, in today's NBA, if you shoot the lights out from three, you got a shot to beat anybody. So if Bogdanovich hits a bunch of threes, Sadiq Bey hits a bunch of threes. In reality, though, I'm going to stick with the superstars. I think if Atlanta pulls off the upset, mm-hmm. it's going to sound insane because I think the odds of it happening are insane. They need Trey and DeJounte to average roughly 60 points combined per game. Yeah, that was going to be in my house, like 30 each or like 60 combined. Like 60 combined, maybe. Mm -hmm. But once again, you just said Boston scored 120 in every meeting. I I don't think Atlanta can stop them. But (laughs) in such an unlikely situation where they pull off the upset, they need Trey and DeJounte, not or. They need both to go nuclear. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I think that we're both in agreement that Boston should take care of business here. I think they might sweep. But. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that then. So um, for this, for the sweep right now for Boston, it is uh, plus 230, like I mentioned. The favorite right now is for Boston to get this done in five games at plus 190. Um, obviously, we're not going to lay the minus 1,000 price here, um, but what anything that entices you as far as a serious spread or a serious double play or number of games, anything you're looking at? Well, I do want to ask you though, do you have the number in front of you what the under five and a half is? It's gonna be juiced. I'm just curious how juice is gonna be. Um under five and a half is minus one seventy. I think I'd rather take the one seventy. Like I'm trying to think because I'm really torn between four and five, and the odds are close. So I feel like if you're talking about what to expect in this, if you can find a group or a grouping where you can get the Celtics in four or five, it would be less than 170 because in theory it takes the the possibility of the Hawks winning in four or five. So maybe that would be like minus 150. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather take that. I think Boston wins in four or five. But I, if I had to pick one, I'd probably lean to the sweep. I'm really not sold on Atlanta. 
But for the sake of what I think is going to happen, I think Boston wins in four or five. Yeah, minus two and a half is at minus 165 on the series spread. So I think what you're saving, what, five cents there for them to win in five and then in a sweep. Yeah. So so you said 165. I'll I'll take that. I think that even though it's juiced, it's worthy of being juiced. And a reminder, a play-in team has never won a playoff series. And furthermore, a play-in team has never made it to a game seven in the first round. Yeah. Um, I really didn't. I mean, I honestly didn't dig too much into this matchup. I just thought Boston was head. I mean, head of or better. Once again, do you think Atlanta is a good team or do you think Miami is worse than a lot of people thought who potentially don't listen to this podcast? No, but it just goes back to the point of what you mentioned that everybody gets hyped up or at least the general public gets piped up that, oh, Atlanta looked really good against this Miami team. And, you know, now they could put the two seed Boston on upset alert. I don't think that's no, going to happen because no. no, because again, offensively, I think Miami is definitely compromised. We know that Jimmy Butler didn't have a good game, but now you're going up against the Boston Celtics who have two guys at minimum on their roster that can get their own shot. But they also have a lot of shooters on this team as well. Right. We talked about depth guys. on that team is crazy it, compared yeah. to Atlanta. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about the three-point shooting that this team has. I think that, again, Boston's head over heels better than this Atlanta Hawks team. And, again, the odds in the books are are pretty much indicative of that. So, I agree with you. Minus two and a half It's probably the way that you would want to attack this um, series price for the Boston Celtics. I do think they get it done in, either four, uh, in a sweep or in a gentleman's sweep in five games uh, like you mentioned. Um Anything else you want to mention for this? I, I don't have much for this. I think the next series is probably the most intriguing one that we can talk about. Uh, once again, I was impressed that Atlanta kept it together and they managed to win a game on the road against Miami, who had given them problems in the past. But for reference, Atlanta's defense looked good in the last game. Miami scored 105 points and got 33 from Kyle Lowry. Scored only 105 points. I'm blaming that on Miami's offense. No offense <laughs> to Atlanta. That's insane. Um. Yeah. All right. So let's get over to the Western Conference here, Scott. We have a two-seven matchup between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles uh, Lakers. Here, currently, the price over on DraftKings. What I'm seeing is that Memphis is minus one forty to win this series, plus one twenty-four. The LA Lakers to win this series. Looking at the season series in the three matchups this season between these two teams, Lakers won two out of the three matchups. Um, They got a 112-103 victory and then a 122-121 victory. I'll have to dig in a little more and see who didn't play and who did play. I was going to say because John might have been suspended for a couple of those games. Yeah, so the 121, sorry, 122-121 victory for the Lakers. Uh, LeBron did play in that game, but they did not have Anthony Davis in that game. And then for Memphis, everybody played in that game. John Moran, Desmond Bain, Triple J, Dylan Brooks, and Steven Adams. Um, and then in the 121-109 victory for the Memphis Grizzlies, um, The Lakers did not have LeBron in that game, but they did have Anthony Davis. And this was after the trade uh, where they did get Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. So no LeBron in that game, but Anthony Davis in that game, Scott, went off for 28 and 19. 
And then the latest matchup was the March 7th matchup where the Lakers won 112-103. And that was a game that they did not have John Morant, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, That was a game where they had Desmond Bain, Jones, Tillman, Triple J, and Dylan Brooks starting. And also no LeBron in that game as well for the LA Lakers. And that was the game, Scott, where Anthony Davis scored 30 points and grabbed a casual 22 rebounds in that game for the LA Lakers. Um, let's start with the series uh, here. The price right now, minus 140 for the Grizzlies, plus 120 for the Lakers. What are you thinking about this series? Um, is this, do you think there's some value on the Grizzlies here, or do you think that the Lakers have a chance to win the series? I think that this price is laughably bad. <laughs> Memphis should be minus $2, like yeah. minimum, in, in my opinion. I, it's I, a Lakers I don't tax. know. It's a LeBron tax, Laker tax, all the above. And I get the LeBron in the playoffs, you know, is a great, great track record of making it to the NBA Finals. Uh, having said that, though, his last playoff series, I believe they got smacked by Phoenix, but Anthony Davis got hurt in that series, obviously. I don't understand how people can watch that Lakers game against the Timberwolves. A team missing Gobert and its best perimeter defender, McDaniels. They watch that entire game, and they want to bet on the Lakers? This team isn't good. Can can we at least acknowledge that? They got better as the season went on with some trades that they made, but I don't know how you're supposed to watch them against a compromised Minnesota team. And p- people don't even like Minnesota throughout the entire season. I'm supposed to watch whatever the hell that fourth quarter was in overtime and expect mm-hmm. them to have a chance to make a run in the playoffs. Like Memphis is a team that I know can be annoying and a lot of people don't like them. They're experienced. They've tasted it a little bit because they lost to Golden State last year. But I'm looking at this overall matchup, and I really think that Memphis is the much better team. And yes, LeBron and or AD can go nuclear. AD, for the most part, has had a couple of good games. He's mostly been invisible. I I think the Lakers are fine. I don't think they're a great team. They're definitely better than most seven seeds. But I'm looking at LeBron, who had to play 46 minutes in the overtime game, and he was exhausted in the entire back half of the fourth quarter and overtime, and he's going to have to play 40 minutes in basically every game of the series, and AD's going to have to play 40-plus minutes, and I'm not sure he can stay healthy, which is a whole separate can of worms. Memphis was 35-6 and at home this season, and they're 140, and we know in LeBron's history of the playoffs, his teams tend to punt game one. Yeah. So why would you bet the Lakers now if you think they're going to punt game one? I like Memphis... I mentioned before, a play-in team has never won a playoff series. They've never even got to a Game 7. I know it's LeBron, so that's a little bit of a difference, of a difference there. But based on the price and how good Memphis is in terms of their home court advantage, mm-hmm. 140 Like, yeah, I think they should be minus $2. I'm not going to discount the Lakers that easily. I mean, obviously, when you always have a LeBron, a healthy LeBron and a healthy AD, I think they do have a chance to win this series. I'm now, not fully my, discounting. I'm just saying no, minus no, yeah. 140 is an insane yeah, yeah. price for a playing team. And that's where the argument the is. Yeah. Is that the price is ridiculous in my mind? Cause I thought at minimum, this would open like a minus 180 or yeah, at least a $2 favorite. Like you mentioned. Right. Um, but for me, I think I, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not a Memphis Grizzlies fan. I just don't think this team, I don't want to say they're not very good, but I just don't think that there is they don't enough. Have a killer instinct. 
I think they do have a killer instinct, but I just don't think there's enough on this roster for them to get even to the Western Conference Finals. I understand that John Moran is an incredible player. Like, he's going to get his. I would not be surprised if he's averaging 30 per game. But after that, for me, it's like you're relying on Desmond Bain. Okay, he's a great three-point shooter. But And after that, Scott, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big fall-off. Um, ZM pointing out, I think that this was exactly my thought, that for the Memphis Grizzlies, that if they are going to, number one, win this series or even make a run, you know, in the playoffs, that Triple J is probably going to be the most important player for this team in the playoffs because, number one, we saw what he was able to do defensively this season, but also he's going to also have to contribute on the offensive side of the basketball. Like You can't rely on John Morant every single night to go out and put up 30 or 35, 40 points for you and expect to win a game. Um, And you kind of look at the Lakers side. (sighs) Obviously, you start with LeBron and AD. Like, we know they're going to get theirs. I think the the X factor for me, like Triple J is for the Memphis Grizzlies, is going to be D'Angelo Russell for this team because he has has his moments, but he hasn't been very consistent in my eyes. And we saw it in the the play-in tournament game where he was on the bench in that fourth quarter. It was Dennis Schroeder that really led this team throughout the season in that fourth quarter where he was with that closing group, right? Because again, he, he brings that defensive pressure. He makes the right place and he can knock down that three point shot. We saw it against what was it against Minnesota um, where they gave him that three point lead and then the foul call on AD. But the thing that makes me nervous, and I think you've been a proponent of this is just Darvin Ham. Like, I think that's the part that does make me nervous about the Lakers because some of his rotations are questionable i guess we can say a lot of the times but i think this could be a competitive series i would i be surprised if memphis wins no but i'm I'm definitely going to give lakers a chance to win this i do think that obviously when you have two of the five two of the top five or top six top seven top eight players wherever you see it there in your eyes you're always going to have a chance i think the not having steven adams is going to be huge mm-hmm. for this uh memphis grizzlies team to hold AD down because if AD does not average anywhere from 25 to 15 re- rebounds per game in the series, needs to literally average like 25 and 14 for them to win yeah. the series. So I think that again, number one, Anthony Davis, I know LeBron is going to be LeBron and also the three point shooting for this Lakers team, like Malik Beasley, if he's going to get the minutes, he has to provide those three point shots. Rui Yachimura coming off the bench has that. Been... That was going to be my point on one of the disparities here. We yeah. saw it in the play-in game. This team still can't shoot. Yeah, I know Hachimura made a couple of threes. Schroeder made the big three in the corner, uh, but for the most part, they can't really shoot. Memphis can, and they got a lot of depth. And I do have questions about the Lakers bench. We know how awful the on-off numbers are for LeBron when he's off the court. This team's atrocious. Yeah. And with Memphis, with Tyus Jones leading the way with the bench unit, I do really like their bench. Once again, I'm not saying straight up that the Lakers have no chance to win the series. I never no, no. said that. Yeah, but yeah. I do think when you're looking at the price point, minus 140 for a significantly deeper team that, in my opinion, is a less star-dependent, for better or worse, but I do think there's more scoring depth on Memphis than there is for the Lakers – and defensively, the Lakers were very good in that play-in game in the second half. Or was Minnesota just afraid of the moment? I think it might have been B. Yeah, I think it was B as well because they. I think what they end up scoring, what they went, they had like two baskets in a stretch of what 
12, 13 minutes, it's maybe seven more. points in the final 11 minutes, including overtime. And that includes the three free throw bailout yeah. uh, there on the call by Connolly. So yeah. Minnesota, so uh, Minnesota made two field goals in the final 11 minutes. Yeah. And both of them were Anthony Edwards layups or dunks in transition. Yeah. So in the half court, they hit zero shots in the final 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care how good your defense is. That's bad offense. Yeah, I agree. So uh, looking at some of the series uh, spreads and, and you know, the, the, the double chance market, I guess we can say for this series, if you like Memphis, what are your thoughts on Memphis game one? And Memphis will win the series at plus 135, or do you just do like a mechanical parlay? Well, I said it before, LeBron teams never win game one. Yeah. So that's why I'm also against taking the Lakers now, because I think if history repeats itself and the Lakers punt game one, which is very possible, then you can probably get the Lakers at what, like $3, 250 maybe? So the exact price right now for Memphis to win game one and Lakers to win the series is at $3. So I feel like that's how I would go about it if I like the Lakers, yeah. uh, but I don't. Okay. I think Grizzlies win game one. And I think they win the series in six, if I, if I had to guess, five or six. But I could easily be wrong because, you know, it's LeBron we're talking about. But LeBron yeah. is still somewhat banged up, allegedly. And you're looking at how exhausted he was down the stretch. It's a lot of minutes for a guy that's been in the league for a long time. And it's also a lot of minutes for AD. And we know AD can land awkwardly and immediately get injured. And that's a whole separate can of worms. So I'm going to go with Memphis. I'll back the team that's 35 and six at home to simply put defend home court and win the series. If the Lakers win, I wouldn't be surprised. But based on the overall value at where the line is located and based on what I've seen from both teams this season, I think Memphis is the much better team. And I think that minus 140 is an insane price. Yeah, I agree about the price as well. I think that is definitely an insane price. So I I think the Lakers do win this series. I'm going to be a Laker bandwagon person here, but I think that would I be surprised if Memphis wins this series? No. Um, but I think this is going to be one of the more fun series to watch. Um, so if you want to take Memphis, you said Memphis in six, Scott? Yeah, five or six. Yeah, yeah minus one and a half is plus 190 uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and then looking at the total number of games, um, uh, where did it go? I don't know if I'd be interested in the under because six and a half would be pretty heavily juiced and five and a half. I'm not, I don't think the series is probably going to end in five. Yeah. Uh, Memphis, uh, over under five and a half is at minus, uh, minus 200 on the over at five and a half for the series. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I am tempted by that Grizzlies minus one and a half games though. Plus yeah. 190 for mm-hmm. a team that once again was 35 and six at home. Yeah. I think is extremely tempting. The plus 190 kind of has my eye there for Memphis minus one and a half. Yeah, I think the books are expecting this to go seven because that is the favorite for a series exact game. Seven games at plus 175, six games at plus 190 um, as far as if you're looking at that. Um, And then if you want to take Memphis in six, it's six to one. And then Memphis in five games is plus, excuse me, plus 550. So some pretty good prices there if you if you think that Memphis does get this done in five or six games. Um, anything else for this series, Scott? I'm trying to think of what else I actually would consider taking. 
I, I'm trying to think if they're do they have official like points per game averages available? Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking at. So I don't th- see anything for any LA players though. Okay, because I would blindly consider Davis rebounds, obviously, maybe yeah. points. You can argue LeBron points as well. I don't know who on the Lakers can stay in front of Ja. And I don't think anybody can, mm. which is another reason why I think the Grizzlies have a good chance in the series. It's just because of the fact that if we're talking about LeBron and AD being unstoppable, I don't know who's supposed to stop Ja between Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder. MVP Austin Reeves. I was going to say, but you have those two and D'Angelo Russell. Have fun trying to stay in front of Ja. Like, I, I don't think there's a right answer here. And once again, I think Memphis should Keyword should outshoot the Lakers pretty significantly from three throughout this series. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of variables that LeBron and AD are going to have to overcome. And I just think that's a lot for two guys to handle that are that have been battling injuries for the last couple of months. Is Jared Vanderbilt quick enough on his feet to stay in front of John Morant? Maybe, but with today's NBA, you're constantly running pick and rolls with everybody anyway, so they'll find a way to get your weakest defender on John no matter what. Yeah. I, I just don't think the Lakers have enough good perimeter defenders to actually stop Memphis's backcourt. I, I really just look, I'm looking at what lineups you'd use if you're the Lakers. Mm. How many, let's just say above average, how many above average perimeter defenders do the Lakers actually have? <sighs> I'll say Vanderbilt one. Okay. And Vanderbilt, you can argue, you know, is going to spend a lot of time in the paint, but still. Okay. Yeah. Schroeder, maybe. Just saying. Two and a half. You could say LeBron in theory, but LeBron defensively, I don't think he can stay with Jot at the stage in his career. No, no, no. No. Um, Yeah, I'll put like the number at like two and a half for the Lakers, but I think it'll be interesting that what the game plan for Darvin Ham is going to be for. Um, John Morant in this series, and then also what Taylor Jenkins' plan is going to be. Obviously, I think Triple J is going to match up on Anthony Davis, but if he does get him into foul trouble, because we know he does foul a lot, Triple J. Um, and then after that, I think what Xavier Tillman matches yeah. up. But I'm I mean, just saying, Z- ZM's mentioned in a couple of guys. He said Reeves is a solid defender. I think Reeves is fine as a defensive yeah. player. Is he athletic enough to stay in front of Ja? Probably not. And yes, you can argue AD is going to sit in the paint and AD is going to block shots. But once again, since every NBA team spams pick and rolls, AD is probably going to be dragged away from the basket. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't really see any answers to the Lakers defensively for Ja, unless you just dare him to shoot threes. And even with that, Ja's seen it before. You're just going to give him extra room to get a rolling start to the rim. I think the Lakers defense doesn't exactly match up well against Memphis in this series. So then in your eyes, what before we get to some uh lock and dog here, um what has to go right or what has what is gonna be the determining factor for the Lakers to win this series? And then same question for the Grizzlies to win this series. For the Lakers, it's kind yeah. of the, it's not, I'm not it's not the same extreme as I mentioned with the Hawks, because of course the Celtics are much bigger favorites against them. But it's the mm-hmm. same idea. They need their superstars to go crazy in every game. Okay. They need LeBron and AD to average. I'm trying to even think here. You need, you need LeBron to basically average 30. You need AD to probably average like 25 mixed in with 15 rebounds. So can we agree that if the Lakers are going to win the series, they need LeBron and AD to combine for, let's say, 55 per game 
with what, like 20, 22 rebounds per game. I, I think that's definitely achievable for those two guys. For me, for the Lakers, just what are you going to get from the other guys, like outside of LeBron and AD? Like, what are you going to get from D'Angelo Russell? What are you going to get Reeves from Reeves? I think I think Reeves is going to be great in this series. I really do. He's been solid in that second half of the season for the Lakers. But guys like like you mentioned, D'Lo, Schroeder, uh, Malik Beasley, if he does get minutes, like Troy Brown, Rui Yachimura, those guys, like what are you going to get from those guys in this series to, number one, I think for more importantly for me, step up defensively uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies because, again, I know that when it comes down to clutch time that it's going to be the Anthony Davis. It's going to be Dennis Schroeder, Anthony Davis, and LeBron. Like those are you going to – that those three guys are going to be in the closing lineup for sure when it comes down to that fourth quarter. Um, but you mentioned the supporting cast, and you're not wrong about that. I'm a bit skeptical – on yeah. the Lakers outside shooting in the series. So sure. for that reason, I'm pivoting back to the superstars. Yeah. Most people who are taking the Lakers are kind of expecting the same thing that I am, or at least predicting the same type of recipe for the Lakers to pull this off. They need LeBron and AD to look like bubble LeBron and AD. They need them to go nuclear. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm anticipating to happen in my head if the Lakers win this series. I think with the injuries both guys are dealing with and 80s tendency to become invisible at times, I'm skeptical on that happening for a seven-game series. Last question before we move on. If Lakers win game one, what do you what percent of a chance are you giving Grizzlies to win the series at that? If the point? Lakers win game one, mm-hmm. I'll give the Lakers a 65% chance to win the series. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh anything what, else? What about you? Yeah, I think that I, I, I was going to say is that I think we'll find a lot about the Lakers and if they're going to win this series. Like, let's just say it comes down to in the final minute. That's a one possession game that they lose. The, they lose the game on on in one possession. I think they're going to be fine. But I think the most important game for these Lakers is going to be game one. Um, I don't like I the most. Mention- I think the most important game is game two. Be, just based on LeBron's history of punting game ones. That's yeah. why I think it's sw- it sways that heavily if the Lakers win game one, in my opinion, on their odds to win the series. The yeah. reason why I'm picking Memphis, and if I had to go with probability, I'd give Memphis a 60% chance to win the series, maybe 65% chance to win the series. It's because I'm basically giving them a one nothing head start. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. Um, all right. Anything else for this series here, Scott, between the Grizzlies and the Lakers? No, we talked about before, once the points per game averages and rebounds per game averages come up, I'll bet AD over in rebounds and LeBron over yeah. in points, but we don't have that available right now. Yeah, we don't have it yet, so when we when we do handicap the game ones for the round one matchups, uh, hopefully they are posted by then and we can give you guys some uh, there as well um, for the series. Uh, all right, Scott, let's wrap it up strong here. Let's give out maybe a, a best bet, a lock, a dog, a prop. Uh, for the two series, at least that we did discuss here uh, between the Hawks and the Celtics and then the Lakers and the Grizzlies. What stood out to you? All right. So for the lock, I think we're both going to double lock this. I'm going with the Celtics minus two and a half games. Yeah, I I just think they bury this team. The Hawks, good for them. They beat up on a Miami team that I've been very low on for about five months. Doesn't mean much to me. Boston is a very, very deep team. Atlanta's bench isn't exactly great. They've had a couple of bigger contributors late. John Collins, I still don't think, does much to move the needle. And they need Trey and DeJounte to go nuclear just to remain competitive in these games. I think Boston kills them. I'll take Boston minus two and a half games and minus 165 as my lock. 
Yeah, I'm there with you. I think that was my lock as well. So we'll double lock that up. Boston Celtics minus two and a half against the Atlanta Hawks. I think they get it done in either a sweep or in five games. I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, what do you got for a, and just to put that in reference, the over five and a half games played in that series between the Celtics and the Hawks is at plus 140. The under is minus is five and a half is at minus 170. So you kind of see where the books are probably thinking about the series. Uh, what do you got for a dog? Well, I do want to ask you, though, for the win game one and win series prop, Mm -hmm. what is Memphis to win game one and the series? Yeah, plus 135. That counts? Okay, cool. I always heard that'd be plus money. I was tempted by the minus 190 for the Grizzlies, minus one and a half, but Mm -hmm. I can see a world where that goes seven. So, no, based on LeBron's history of punting game ones, I think Memphis will win game one, and I feel like a lot of people who even like the Lakers to win the series – are expecting the Lakers to lose game one, especially Mm -hmm. after an overtime game, and now they have to travel. They're a couple days off, though. But still, give me Memphis to win game one in the series at plus 135. All right. Um, I am going to go the other way, then. I will take the Lakers. So Memphis to win game one, and then Lakers to win the series at 3-1. to Um, I think... Again, I'm not high on this Memphis team. I think they're a great regular season team. Um, But I know the public is going to be all over the Lakers, but um, I just think that they'll find a way. I think they're going to find a way. I think the trades that they made obviously helped this team. I think that there's going to be some type of unsung hero outside of Schroeder, AD, and LeBron that's the stats won't pop off the page, but he's going to make or someone is going to make those plays. That is going to make the difference for this Lakers team winning the series or losing the series. So at three to one, I, I do like that price. Um, but we talked about it, that if Memphis wins game one, I mean, Scott hit the nail on the head that you'll probably get Lakers at, at three to one as well. Maybe a plus 275, plus 280. But right now, Memphis to win game one and Lakers to win series is at three to one. I'll take that as my dog. Uh, all right, Scott, man, that's going to do it for this edition of the NBA Gambling Podcast. We still have to determine who the eight seats are going to be, uh, but we'll break those games down as well for you guys. Um, anything else we need to mention, Scott, before we get out of here? Uh, yes. Uh, for the eight, for the final play-in games, I believe we are doing a night podcast for that, correct? Uh, yeah, the schedule has kind of been all over the place. Let me see what we officially decided. But I, yeah, I think that we are definitely going to be a no. So you and I are doing that tomorrow. Okay. At the same uh, time. Because those are going to be night games. So in theory, yeah. we could do that either tonight or tomorrow. So we're doing that tomorrow morning. Yeah, we'll do it around the same time because the games are late, but we will be back Friday night uh, to preview the round one Saturday games. And what are we doing for the actual series that have still been relatively undecided yet? Are we doing a preview for that or what are we doing? Yeah, so we'll come back on Friday night. Um and we'll we just we'll, merge that we'll with the games? together. Yeah, yeah, we'll merge okay. it together. Yeah. I think those will be quicker conversations because they're eight in one spot. So for those of you listening or watching live, we'll be back uh tomorrow, uh Friday, the regular time here, eleven o'clock Eastern to discuss the two games happening on Friday, the play-in games between the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls, and then OKC Thunder visiting the Minnesota Timberwolves to find out who the eight seed's going to be. And then Friday night, we'll tweet it out uh, what time we'll come back and we'll preview the game ones for Saturday, and then we will touch on the um, 
eight one match or one eight matchups in their respective series for the Western and Eastern Conference. So, uh, this, or I don't think we're going to be taking the eight seed to win in either of those series. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens, but. Those might be quicker conversations. We'll just handicap the round game uh, one matchups uh, when uh, the lines are already posted, but we'll do that Friday night because the games do start early on Saturday. So we want to make sure you guys get to the pod um, as soon as possible. So this will be a great time right now to mention, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel for the NBA gambling podcast. Uh, Also follow us on Twitter at SGPN NBA. We usually do try to tweet out, Uh, our schedule um, the night before on when we're going live. So you guys can join us. Shout out to the chat, man. The usual guys, uh, ZM, uh, JR, Nick, our our usual suspects in uh, the chat. Y'all really help the pod really go by uh, and and keep it entertaining for us. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, And again, don't forget, you still have time to join the NBA playoffs uh, survivor challenge. It's exclusively on the SGPN app. $250 $250 cash to the winner and a $100 gift card to the SGP and merch store. So definitely hop in there. And if you haven't already, leave us a rating and review. Definitely uh, is appreciated if you haven't done so already. Make sure to follow Scott on Twitter at Shell Radio. Follow me on Twitter at SportsNerd824. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. Same time to preview the two um, playing tournament games. Till then, good luck with your bets. Let's break these books off and let it ride. Basket.